0: first reading for this morning will be from the prophecy of Hosea. The prophecy of Hosea. And, and if you just go through the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, it's right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 11. You might be wondering why we just sang such a long song. And if you've been looking up at the board or or if you looked at these passages beforehand, you might be wondering why we're looking at so many, so many passages and so many verses. Well, it's because Matthew, in in the text that we're going to be looking at, he's really pulling together threads from all over the Old Testament and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And all the themes that, that are in our text in Matthew are also in Psalm 80 in more or less the same order. Our first reading is from Hosea chapter 11. We're going to read the whole thing. So, Isaiah chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the bales and burnt incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as, as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt. But the Assyrian shall be his king because they refused to repent, and the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come with terror. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion, and when he roars, then his sons shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. Our next text is going to be from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 30. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be My people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give them rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will Bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together, a great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications, I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat And new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. And they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance. And the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the souls of the priest with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. But thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel, turn back to these your cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall encompass a man." Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall say, no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. And now our final reading before our text comes from the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah, we're going to start reading in Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20. where God, having promised that that, that Israel's judges, Assyria, was going to be taken care of, was going to be punished itself, now promises that Israel will return. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on Him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord, God of hosts, will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod, and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt yet, uh, for yet a little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt." It shall come to pass in that day that His burden will be taken away from, his, from your shoulder and His yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. He has come to Ayath. He has passed Migran. At Michmash He has attended to His equipment. They have, they have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. Rama is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish. O poor Anathoth. Madmena has fled, the inhabitants of Gabim seek refuge, and as yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will he will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop up will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the the islands of the sea. He shall set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With His mighty wind, He will shake His fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of His people who will be left from Assyria, as it was for Egypt in the day that He came up from the land of Egypt. And now let's turn together to our text to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 from 13... Till the end of the chapter. This is the Word of God. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son." Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So far, our reading from God's Word. Dearly loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, over the past couple of weeks, we've been, we've been taking a look at the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And throughout that time, we've seen one theme pop up again and again and again. God keeps His promises. In our first sermon, two, two Sundays ago, from, from chapter 1, verses 1 through 22, we saw how despite all the ways that, that Jesus' ancestors, His forefathers, messed up, God kept His promises to Abraham, to David, and to all the exiles to someday provide a Messiah, a Christ, from that line. And then in our second sermon, uh, eight days ago on Christmas Day, we saw how God's promise to send Emmanuel, to make his, his very presence known among his people, that promise was kept when Jesus was born of Mary. This past Sunday, we, last week, we, we, we took a look at the story of the wise men, the Magi, and, and even there, there was a strong emphasis on our God who keeps his promises. The scribes and the priests in Jerusalem, they looked up that text in Micah, and the Gentiles found Jesus just like God had promised. And more than that, just by having the wise men show up, God was keeping another promise, a promise, a, a promise to bring the Gentiles to Himself, to gather all the nations to worship the Messiah and to come to Him through that Messiah. And this passage, our passage this morning, it takes place as the wise men are, are, are going back on their long journey home. But, but, but still, though the story has moved on, Matthew is eager to show us that, that, that all of God's promises and, and, and everything that God showed His people in the Old Testament, everything, even the entire history of God's Old Testament congregation, it's all being fulfilled in Christ. He gives us three short stories here about the boyhood of Jesus. And and you saw the pattern, I'm sure, as we read. Every time he finished a little story, he punctuated it with with a declaration that this event in Jesus' life has fulfilled the Old Testament. And all of those fulfillments point to one theme. In Christ, God is keeping His promises to restore His people. In verses 1 through, uh, sorry, in verses 13 through 15, we'll see how, how Christ will restore God's people by, by leading his beloved out on a new exodus. In verses 16 through 18, we'll see how, how in Christ, God, uh, God will turn his people's mourning into joy. And then lastly, in verses 19 through 23, we'll see how God is restoring his people, as Matthew tells us that, that this Christ the living and growing up in a very small, out-of-the-way place, this Christ will, in God's good timing, reign over God's restored remnant. But this text begins where last Sunday's left off, when they, that is the wise men, when they had departed. The wise men beheld God in the flesh, they fell down in worship, and then having worshipped and having given their gifts, they go back to their own countries. But, but before they go back, they're warned in a dream not to return home on the same road, lest they be interrogated uh, and encountered and by and, and, and interrogated by Herod's men. And so, they go past Jerusalem, and they don't go back, and they don't report to Herod where they had found the Christ. But right after they, uh, right after they leave, Joseph, he also has a dream, just like they had had a dream. And just like God had warned the wise men to avoid Herod... So Joseph is also warned by one of God's angels to take off immediately also because of Herod. See, last week we saw that this man Herod, he is a really bad guy. His reign over this area of Judea, it was characterized by a kind of peace, but it was peace at the cost of the blood of countless subjects and family members. And so this angel tells Joseph what's living in Pharaoh's heart, and he tells him to flee. Arise, the angel says, arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Last week we saw that Herod was was terrified of any opposition to his control over God's people. And so when he heard from the wise men about the Messiah being born, he was deeply troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And here we see the results of his troubling. Matthew had told us previously last week that Herod had gone off to the scribes and priests to find out exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. And then he had gone off to the wise men and had grilled them about exactly where, uh, when the Messiah had been born. He had said that he wanted to come and visit the Messiah to worship Him. But here in the angel's words, we see the true intentions of his heart. He had gathered all that information when the Messiah was born, where the Messiah was born, not so that he could worship the Messiah, but so that he could kill Him. Herod will seek the young child, the angel said, to destroy him. And so the angel tells Joseph, get up, get out of bed. Your family is in danger and you have a responsibility to protect them. Now get up, take the child and his mother and flee, flee to Egypt and do not come back until I say it's safe to do so. So Joseph, he gets up and and he does everything that the angel says. And Matthew's taking pains here in our text to, to, to emphasize that Joseph's obedience, it, it, is, it is immediate and it is total. The angel gives him four commands, and Joseph follows all four commands. He's not like Lot fleeing Sodom, but, but having to be pushed out the door by the angels. No, he's more like the Israelites in the book of Exodus, taking off out of Egypt in the middle of the night. But the Israelites marched out of Egypt defiantly in front of all of their opponents, in front of Egypt, because God had triumphed over Egypt, Joseph flees by night. It seems like he doesn't want to wait at all. He, he has this dream at night, and that very night, he doesn't wait for the sun to rise, but that very night he takes off. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. So, like the angel had said, he remained there until it was safe to come back. And Egypt, during this time, it it was not an uncommon place for Jews to go. There was actually quite a big Jewish community there on the banks of the Nile. Many who had fled persecution elsewhere, and you can imagine with Herod on the throne, there was a lot of persecution. Many of them had come to Egypt as refugees and had spent their entire lives there instead of living in the promised land. Egypt was also under uh, under the control of the Roman Empire, but, but it was under a different governor. And so they didn't have to be afraid of being sent back. But the fact that Egypt was a safe place to go, that wasn't the only reason that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus went there. There was another reason, a bigger reason. As you probably know, many centuries ago, Israel, the whole nation of Israel, they had gone down into Egypt as a family... And had come back out as a multitude. And in the book of Hosea, after God tells Israel that their sins are going to bring them into exile, he expresses his sadness about this state of events. And in, in, in chapter 11, the chapter that we read together, he mourns for Israel. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I, how can I give you over, Israel? How can I make you like those other nations that I destroyed? And he begins this love song for Israel in Hosea chapter 11 with, with these words quoted in our text, Out of Egypt I called my son. In Hosea, God's referring back to Israel, but here in, in, in our text, what's true of Israel is also true of the Christ. Jesus is brought down by Joseph into Egypt so that, so that the Messiah can undergo what his nation underwent. But though that's where the chapter in Hosea begins, that's not where it ends. God remembers in the hearing of His people, He remembers for their sake, how He brought them up like a child from Egypt. I taught Ephraim to walk. I took him by his arms. But he didn't know that I healed him. I drew him with with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to him as one who who takes the yoke from his neck. I stooped and fed him. And then God promises not to return Ephraim, not to return Israel to Egypt, but to send them off to Assyria instead. But God promises still, though they're being punished by being sent off to Assyria, that's not the end of the story. He goes on to say, I will not execute the fierceness Of my anger, I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. They shall walk after the Lord, he writes. He will roar like a lion, a lion calling its cubs. And when he roars, then his sons shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. So so as if one exodus wasn't enough, God promises a new exodus. And when God says in our text that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son, Matthew showing us that everything promised in Hosea 11 is going to come true. The beginning of Jesus' earthly story was like Israel's beginning, but the ending, beloved, the ending was so much better. Israel had been enslaved in the land of Egypt but that was a small problem compared to the greater enslavement that had gripped all of humanity from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they condemned all of their children to lifelong and eternal slavery, not just to some earthly tyrant, but to the great enemy of all things good and holy. They, they sold their children into lifelong and eternal slavery to the devil, to death, to fear, and to sin. And so, whereas Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery to Pharaoh, Jesus is leading His beloved out of the greater Egypt, out of the greater bondage and slavery into a a better promised land than Israel could have ever dreamed of. And He's leading them into a promised land that they can never be chased out of into wide green pastures where they will never be troubled, into an eternity of, of, of adoring sonship from which they can never be cut off. And so when Matthew says here that God's Word is being fulfilled, it means that God's great promises of a greater exodus, of greater freedom than has ever been known, is in Christ being brought to pass. But that's not the only story that Matthew tells us. That's not the only prophecy that Matthew gives us here. Joseph, he he brings his little family down to Egypt, but the exit of the wise men has not just prompted Joseph's escape. It has also prompted something much darker. The angel warned Joseph of Herod's wrath, and now we see it on full display. Then Herod, seeing that he had been deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And Matthew chooses a word here to let us know that Herod, that, that, that paranoid man, he is convinced that the wise men are mocking him, they're making fun of him. And so he's exceedingly angry, and in his anger he sends forth and puts to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of the area around it from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. When the wise men were back in Jerusalem, they, uh, Herod had interrogated them about exactly when the star had appeared, exactly when God had displayed that sign of his Messiah. And he knows from the scribes and the priests that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, in David's city. And we know what kind of wicked king Herod is. And so, and so this is consistent with Herod. This is consistent with how his mind works. He feels exposed. He feels like his throne might be in danger. And so he acts in this absolutely atrocious way. He sends out his men and he just slaughters every single baby or toddler who might fit the description of the Messiah. And Matthew tells us that he sent forth and he put to death. The men carrying out this horrible decree, they did the deed. But Matthew tells us that Herod, Herod is the one who is squarely responsible for this horrible death, uh, horrible act. Herod was paranoid, Herod schemed, Herod lacked a conscience, Herod sent, Herod killed. But even this, it's not just something between Herod and, and, and those he perceives to be his rivals. Even here, there's something bigger than Herod can imagine happening. Even this this horrific event, even in this horrific event, the words of God's prophet are being fulfilled. And there are two ways that we can read this. There's one way, the wrong way, one just monstrous way of reading this text that says that God planned this horrific event to fulfill His words. But let it never be said that God is the author of any kind of evil. This is not the way to read this text or this event. And Matthew tells us this by using the passive and not the active voice. Matthew is not saying that God fulfilled His Word by killing these babies. No, he's saying that that even in this event, as monstrous and as horrible as it was, even in this event, God remains sovereign. And even though He did not cause this, it did not escape his control. It did not escape his providence. He doesn't work through these events, but he works despite these actions of this wicked king. Let it never be said that God is the author of evil, but let it also never be said that any action is evil enough to overcome the plans of God. And even these actions, as horrible as they are, as wicked as they are, They don't fall outside of God's plans for the restoration of His people. For in this wicked deed done by a wicked man, Matthew tells us that another one of the Old Testament prophecies is now being fulfilled. Then was fulfilled, again that's a passive verb, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew sees this horrific event in Jesus' life, and he remembers another horrific event, the exile. When the children of Rachel, the people of Israel, they went off into exile, when when their captors treated them horribly like Herod does here. And, and, And in his prophecy, Jeremiah pictures Rachel in her tomb, weeping as her children go off into exile, mourning because they are no more. And Matthew tells us the cries of these families in Bethlehem, they were echoes of the cries that had filled Israel and Judah as those nations went off into captivity. But remember the passage that we read. It was not not just a meditation on the sorrow of the captives. It It was a declaration of unshakable hope. Yes, the people were being carted off into exile. Yes, they were being mistreated. Yes, they were being killed. But that was not the end of the story. It it wasn't the end during the exile. And Matthew tells us that it's not the end here either. Christ will turn God's people's mourning into joy. Jeremiah, right right after picturing Rachel weeping in her tomb... He cries out to the captives, thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. You don't need to weep anymore, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Isn't Ephraim my dear son? Isn't he my pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. My heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. So set up signposts, make landmarks, set your hearts on the highway, the way in which you went, and turn back, come back, O daughter of Israel, turn back to your cities. Through Christ, mourning will turn to joy. And every tear, every tear that has been collected in the bottle of the Almighty will go rewarded. Because even now, we work and we toil and we sweat under the weight of sin. We experience loss. We experience grief. We lose those we love. And our grief echoes the grief in Bethlehem. Our grief echoes the cries we hear coming out of Rachel's tomb. We read this passage and our hearts break because we experience so much of the same sorrow. And as God's people have wept throughout the centuries and the millennia, so we also grieve and we also weep. But in Christ, beloved, in Christ, God will turn all of our mourning into joy. We grieve, Paul says, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We know that none of our sorrow will go unredeemed. We know that there is a hope that transcends the bonds and the sorrows of this world. There is an eternal and a sure hope that surpasses even the bonds of death. And even for those who grieve the loss of children never known, or for those who grieve the loss of children lost soon after birth, we don't grieve with a hopeless grief. As we remember the words of David, that that though they will not come back to be with us, we will go to be with them. And even beyond that, we remember the words of Jesus, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And there's such a harvest of happiness that's waiting for us. What do we sing in Psalm 84? As they through Bacchus Valley pass... As we pass through the valley of weeping, the vale of tears, as they through Baca's Valley pass, they make that barren wilderness a place of springs, a lush oasis. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Herod can rage all he wants and Satan can rage all he wants, but he cannot upset the plans of God's people. Uh, of God for His people. In Christ, God will keep all of His promises to restore His people. And in Christ, our mourning will turn to joy. And in time, in time, as all tyrants do and as all troubles do, Herod meets his end. He dies. The man who did this horrible thing and so many horrible things besides, he dies, and all of his plans fall apart. And he stands before the judgment seat of God, and he gives his account for every wicked thing that he has ever done. Our text tells us, and when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Like the angel had promised, as soon as the coast was clear, he called the family back to Israel. And he appears, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Herod and his servants, they carried out Satan's will, and they thought that, they, they, they thought that death was their tool, that death was their servant. But Satan's best friend, death, still took them out. Death still came for them. There is no honor among such thieves. And so it seems the coast is clear. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Herod died, yes, but, but, but just before his death, he made his son Archelaus, ruler over Judea and Idumea and Samaria. And right after his death, Archelaus himself went on a killing spree. He, he, he asserted himself as just as ruthless and just as evil a man as his father before him was. And so Joseph, understandably, he doesn't want to go back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is so close to, to, to Jerusalem, it just wouldn't be safe. And the Lord knows this. So, so he comes to Joseph again in a dream and warns him against settling back in Judea. Instead of settling in the south, he, he, he goes north. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He moves from the little town of Bethlehem, there in the shadow of Jerusalem, to Nazareth. Not just a little town, but a tiny town. Less than 500 people in the middle of nowhere. And that's not exactly the best place for the Messiah to grow up, is it? Even Jesus' brothers later point that out. They tell him, hey, if you want people to know that you're the Messiah, don't stick around here, don't stick around here up north. Go down south to Jerusalem. Galilee was technically part of the land of Israel, but it's so full of Gentiles that Matthew later on refers to it as Galilee Galilee of the Gentiles. But having left that territory of Archelaus down south, Joseph goes north and settles there in Nazareth. But he wasn't just settling there because it was a convenient place or because it was a safe place. Those might have been front of mind for Joseph, but there was still something else going on, though though this one's a bit harder to catch. Matthew tells us that Joseph settles and Mary and Jesus with him. He settles in 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 a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And unlike what Matthew told us before about the prophecies from Hosea and from Jeremiah, where he gave us direct quotations, here we're given the general gist of what several different prophets had said. It was not a direct quote from, from Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or so on. It's a theme that Matthew's calling on, a theme that, that that pops up in several places, a word that pops up in several places throughout the prophets, the theme of a branch. It's what we read in in Isaiah 11 verse 1. There God says through Isaiah, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And that word branch in Isaiah 11 verse 1, it's the Hebrew word natser, And that word Nazareth sounds a lot like the word Nazareth. And so Matthew's kind of playing with words a bit here. But what he's saying is that that this boy named Jesus, he's now growing up in this this little out of the way place called Nazareth, but he's like a shoot springing out of the stump of a tree that's been cut down. But even though he's small, he's going to grow and he's going to work. And when he works, as he works, empowered by God's Spirit, things that are broken will begin to be fixed. Things that are worn out will begin to be made new. And those who are weak will be made strong. And the wicked will be destroyed. And the meek and the poor will have justice done for them. But the work of the Christ is not going to stop there, he's not just going to restore his people. When he's king, not only will his people flourish, but the brokenness of the whole world is going to be reversed as well. And, and, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Cows and bears will graze. Calves and cubs will lie down together. Lions will eat with the oxen. Babies will play with poisonous snakes. Everything that is bad will be made good. Everything that has been lost will be restored. And in that day, Isaiah tells us later in that passage, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who will stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, dearly loved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God is keeping all of His promises to restore His people. He will lead us out and make us free. He will turn every one of our tears to joy and He will, beloved, He will rule over His restored remnant. Amen.